listening to the New Mamas Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. If I'm speaking a little bit quieter today, it's because my son is sleeping in the next room. Uh, He might have hand, foot, and mouth or an allergic reaction. We don't know. So that is what's the fun, fun of going on today. But I have Stephanie here with me today. As a lot of you know, I am pregnant with my second baby and it's been quite a journey to get here for several different reasons, which I think we'll get into today. But Stephanie is going to help guide me through how to prepare for a second baby. Stephanie, would you love to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Lena. So nice to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. This is very exciting. So exciting. I'm Stephanie Agnew, and I'm the assistant director of Parents Place in the Center for Children and Youth, which is a program of Jewish Family and Children's Services. We're located in California, in the Northern California area. We have um, offices in five Bay Area counties, including San Mateo, uh, San Francisco, Marin, and Sonoma. Um, and we have several offices, and we offer all kinds of parenting support for parents with children from infants, brand new babies, all the way through adolescence and young adulthood. And so I'm really excited to talk with you today and to help you with this wonderful big transition going on in your life. Yay! Yes, and the conversation we're going to have today is very similar to the conversations that people reach out to you about, right? Can anyone reach out to Parents Place and schedule an appointment? Like, how does it work? Absolutely, yes. So one of the sort of silver linings of this last number of years through the pandemic that we all suffered greatly in many ways is that we have moved most of our services into this Zoom online sort of format. So we're able to meet with parents from all over the world and be able to provide support. You can check us out on our website, the Center for Children and Youth.org, CCY at JFCS.org. And we do individual consultations like this on topics of any sort, ranging from how do I get my child to sleep through the night? Uh, my child has big tantrums. I don't know how to handle tantrums. I don't know if my child's ready for kindergarten. My, How do I help my kids get along better because they're siblings and they're fighting with each other all the time? Also issues like my husband and I aren't quite on the same page in dealing with some of the issues in child behaviors that we're seeing. And also more serious concerns about developmental issues, psychological issues. We do also have clinical services for those of you who might live in the Bay Area. Um, We do offer clinical services as well for children and teens, including occupational therapy um, and also assessments and evaluations for all different sorts of learning differences or developmental neurodiversities. And we have therapy for children as well. But that all does happen in person. So it's only really available for people who are living locally to one of our offices. But our consultation services like this can be done on Zoom with anybody from pretty much anywhere. And we do also offer a range of parenting classes. So short workshops that are much less expensive than an individual consultation and are published on our website also with um, 
little descriptions about what is covered. We offer some classes during lunchtime during the week and also in the evening. So trying to meet the needs of parents at whatever else they're doing. And they cover all different kinds of topics. And it's also on Zoom. And there's a wonderful presenter who has material to present. And also there's time for questions and answers and discussions as well. So those are also available to people who live anywhere who might be interested. That sounds like an excellent resource. So it's not therapy. I want everyone to be clear to know that this is not therapy, but it's also not a Facebook group (laughs) online (laughs) because I'm trying to think of like, okay, if it's not therapy, where do a lot of parents seek help with a lot of these issues? It's Reddit, it's Facebook groups, it's their friends. Talk to me a little bit about why working with someone at Parents Place is... I don't want to say a step up, but, you know, like a bit more mm, personalized or better than maybe just looking for information or posting in a Facebook group. Right. Well, thanks for asking that. It's a great question. So all of our coaches or consultants um, who do our parent coaching have extensive professional and educational backgrounds in whatever area of support they provide. Some of us, like myself, are more generalists, working with families with children um, who are mostly in the sort of early childhood and the middle childhood ages from like zero to seven or eight. We have other folks who specialize more in older kids with school age, middle school, teens, tweens, that sort of thing. We have people who have specialties in um, working with children with special needs and navigating special needs services through insurance and school districts. We also have people who specialize in helping parents with divorce. So for example, my background, I was a a preschool teacher, owner and director for 20 years before I began doing consulting. Um, And I have been now consulting for another 20 years. (laughs) And I have an education in child development and early childhood education. So I'm, and I'm a parent and a grandparent also. I have currently four young grandchildren ranging in age from six and a half to 15 months who I spend at least a day a week with um, every week in addition to lots of other family times. So I'm in the thick of it. Uh, I go out and work at schools with teachers and see children all the time. in school settings and in home settings. So I do have a, you know, a long breadth of experience in, in this area and all of our consultants who work with us do. But we're also all parents. So we also do have that personal experience and many of us are now grandparents. So we're still living the personal experience of raising young children. So we have that professional as well as the personal background and experience, which I think is a step up from what you might just get in a Facebook group who are wonderful moms and dads and and parents and grandparents who are mostly operating from their own personal experience without perhaps a lot of education or or, um, 
professional experience working with families and young children. There you go. You heard the difference. And I just wanted to level set that because I think sometimes people ask like, oh, well, like, do I really need like a coach or consultation? Do I need it? Right. It's like, how bad is it? But actually, everyone here today, you're going to hear a little bit of like a coaching session with Stephanie and I as I prepare for a second baby. So let's jump in. Yes, please. You sent me some wonderful information about your family. And I, we always really appreciate knowing kind of who we're talking to and what the, demo, what the demographics and the dynamics of, of the family setting are. And you sound like uh, a family much like many of the families that we work with who are both working parents with important, big, time-consuming jobs, um, sometimes from home, sometimes not from home. Um, we're, this is also kind of a new a new piece that a lot of families are dealing with, the benefits and the challenges of parenting while you're working from home some of the time. And you have a three-year-old son uh, who's in preschool and is the love of your life, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. And you're getting ready to bring in a new little one, a new little human into your family, which will be wonderful, will be amazing. Uh, which will be incredible gift to all of you, but will also create challenges because your son will have to learn how to share some of the focus of attention. And you mentioned, you know, too, that your husband is a little worried about how to manage that with yes. him. And I think all parents feel that way. I know I did when my second, when I was pregnant with my second. I was like, how could I possibly love another child as much as I love this one? And how unfair is that to this other child I'm bringing into the world who couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly give him or her everything that I've done to my, for my first child. And that's not fair. And, and then, you know, this first child who's, she, in our case, was the first grandchild in the family and really loved that position in life, being the one and only that everybody focused on. And how was she going to deal with this, you know, this new experience? Um, so it's a very normal thing for parents to worry about. Um, and the reality is there's a wonderful little example that I remember being shown when I was pregnant with my second child, which is the concept, if you think of two candles, and that each of you represent one candle, and then there your first baby is born, and that's a third candle in your life, and you go to light that candle, and both of your flames light that candle for your for your first baby. But you still have your own flames, and now there's a third flame. And then when a, when a second child comes into the world, you light that candle, but everybody else still has their full flame. And that's kind of how love works. Wow. It just expands with what it needs, and it meets the needs. And um, it's hard to imagine because you know how hard it is to, to be in love with your one child. Um, but it comes, it's natural. It does come. And having a second child does expand your knowledge of parenting because this is going to be a different little human uh, who will have different needs, some similar needs, some very different needs. 
perhaps you don't know. Temperament is the interesting part of getting to know your children. And even though they both came from the same parents, they might have very different types of temperaments. And I know in my case, with my children, my first daughter loved to be sung to, you know, and shit was the easiest way to calm her. And from brand new baby, you know, she loved music, she loved to be sung to, and we would sing songs. And of course, I tried doing that exact same thing to my young, my second daughter, who never seemed to settle very well, and was just much more agitated all the time. And finally, by the time she was like a year and a half and could talk, she started saying, no singing, no singing. <laughs> realized that she didn't like music nearly as much as the first child did, which of course we couldn't really tell other than that it didn't calm her and it didn't soothe her. So we would try other things. So we had to sort of reinvent being a parent. So sometimes you do have to do that with your second child. But it's a wonderful, expansive experience. And I think it is just a normal and natural thing to feel worried about how you will, how you will be able to do it all. Are, do you know if there are specific things that you're worried about, or that your husband might be worried about, like how to manage certain types of periods of time or certain types of activities? Like, I don't know, maybe you have some special routines with your son who um, that you're wondering how you're going to be able to maintain those when the, when the baby comes or anything along those lines. I think my husband and I, I think our most, oh, I just have so many thoughts. First of all, love the candle metaphor. That is amazing. Never heard that before. Love it. <laughs> I think my husband is worried about Archie's emotional state of like feeling loved and feeling like love isn't being taken away from him it's more so i think less less routines mm -hmm. and more just like tending to his emotional needs and like yeah. how like how do we put him how do we continue it's not that we put him first because like how do you like the how do you have him not build resentment towards the baby? I feel like that's what I hear a lot too. Like instead of like me saying like I'll play with you when I'm done doing this with the baby or the baby needs this first. Like how do we how do we make the baby not a problem for lack of not better words? Like the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, there's a certain amount of it that is unavoidable. You know, I mean, there are times when you are not going to be available for him. But language really makes a big difference in terms of just how you say things and how you present things to him. So instead of saying, you know, I'm not available to you now because I have to take care of the baby, if you focus more on the positive, which says, oh, that seems like so much fun and I'll be ready to do this with you as soon as I'm done nursing the baby. So it's not like I can't do this with you. Focus on, and especially for his age, at age three and four and five, as he goes as he goes up and, and the baby is, is there. Children at this age are really in the moment and they think in very black and white terms. So when they hear the word no, they automatically think never. And that's why they get so upset when they are told they can't have something or can't do something because, and as, as he gets older, you'll hear him say things. Maybe he already does say, you know, 
I'll never get to do this or you never get you never give it to me because they're just in this moment and they feel so frustrated because they can't have what they want or do what they want. So instead of saying no, we use what what I call the soft no. So instead of just saying no, say not now, but when. And that really helps your child to expand their thinking, even though when they're young, they don't have the capacity, really, their brain isn't developed enough yet to not be in this black and white way of thinking. That's what the brain is doing. But the more they hear, not now, but when, and the more they experience the reality of, oh, yes, mommy didn't let me sit on her lap right then, but 10 minutes from now, I am on her lap and the baby is somewhere else, you know, as the more they experience those things, um, they start to realize that, yes, there is that gray area. It's not just now or never. It's not now, but when. So those little kinds of things, ways of talking to him and expressing um, the realities of a situation uh, in a positive way instead of a negative way, make a really huge difference. You can also associate a lot of really positive things with the baby that help to sort of diminish how often your child is feeling neglected or feeling, you know, left out in some way. And one of the one of the greatest tips of, uh, you know, when you're especially when your baby is really little, an infant newborn is to have a special basket of toys that you change out periodically and put new things in every few weeks that are only available to your older child when you're nursing. So like you have this basket of new toys that live in a closet somewhere. And when you need to sit down and nurse and Archie is there and wants your attention, wants you to play with him or do something with him, you pull out these these fun, interesting toys that are more things he can do kind of independently, don't, don't need a lot of, I mean, you can be looking at it with him, but you don't necessarily have to have your hands free to be able, it's not an art project time, right? <laughs> it's a time when he is looking at books or playing with some new cars or you know, whatever it is he really likes, having some some new ones of that sort of thing that he knows are available for him, but only when you're nursing. And that way he starts, he has a positive association with this period of time when you're nursing, which happens a lot throughout the day. And he won't feel as negatively about that because he's going to be excited about having some new toys to play with during that period. I love that. I love the practical tips. That is so good. Well, this is what we do. And this is, and this is, you asked, you said in the beginning a little bit about, well, what's the difference between therapy, for example, and this? And this is the example of what is the main difference. Um, Therapy is a long process of sort of self actualization and self discovery and analyzation to understand where you've come from and what you need and how to, how to get there. What we do is much more solutions oriented. You know, you have questions about something specific and I'm going to give you some tools that hopefully will make your life easier. And it is some of these simple kinds of strategies, which do really make a big difference. The other thing that I think really helps parents and also the older child feel better about this intrusion on their lives of a baby is, um, 
is being very purposeful and planning ahead to as much of an extent as you can, recognizing that, you know, life is not always predictable and things can happen that you can't control. But talking with your husband and working out sort of a system of distribution of responsibilities mm-hmm. such that you are not and the very the com- most common thing that most families do because it seems like the most logical thing to do is that the dad takes care of the older child and the mom takes care of the infant and of course mom is the one who has to be nursing and all of that for the baby but it's really equally as important that dad bond with the infant. And it's also really important that mom have time with the older child too. So thinking that through ahead of time and having an agreement, you know, and a commitment to helping it happen such that dad is comfortable with the baby and can help out changing diapers, giving baths, Um, Even feeding bottles when they get to be a little bit older, assuming all of your nursing is going well and you, you know, you want to introduce a bottle into your baby's life so that can happen. Um, And being part of that, that basic caregiving role is a really important part of bonding with, uh, with a child. So it's, it is important for dad to have that kind of experience. And then it's also important for you to be able to have some time alone with Archie. So dad can be in charge of the new baby and you can, you know, maybe still do the bedtime story at least a few days a week um, or sit with him while he's eating and not have the baby in your arms every minute. The other thing that the second child <laughs> learns about and 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 accepts usually earlier than the first child is that they don't have to be held every minute right <laughs> because you're not able to hold an infant every minute when you have a 3-year-old running around the house who needs to be helped and picked up and done things for right and interacted with and that's okay you know it's wonderful with your first child that's a very special experience to have just one child and be able to be there for and do all these things. But there's also a lot of great resilience and independence and self-confidence that that children um, accomplish by having a little more space to themselves and needing to be a little more independent. I learned this really, it really hit me when my older daughter had twins and they're now six and a half boy girl twins and we had no history of twins anywhere in our family it was a complete fluke of nature no you know Wild. infertility issues or anything like that but just a complete fluke of nature and i was completely panicked about oh my gosh how are we going to possibly manage you know two infants at once and you do you know you you develop strategies and we asked for guidance from people who'd done it and and who knew what to do and we followed some help and guidance. And but one of the things that really struck me was how good these babies were at waiting <laughs> for attention because they had to. You know, we nobody was able to just be there for them the minute they started to cry. Um, sometimes 
they would cry at the same time. And we'd have to give attention to one before we could give attention to the other. And little things, you know, like I couldn't carry them both in car seats down the stairs in this narrow staircase in a Victorian in San Francisco just to get them in the car, (laughs) right? And when I was alone with them, which I was one day a week from the time they were born and I would have to get out with them, you know, I'd put one in the car seat at the top of the stairs and I'd carry the other one down and and quickly buckle them in and, and, you know, the car would be running and the air would be on and I'd run upstairs to get the second one and bring it into the car seat and they, they survived. (laughs) I was able to walk away from them and they knew that I was coming right back and they were fine. And I was thinking, gosh, I don't think either of my girls would have let me walk away from them at three months old, sitting in a car seat at the top of a staircase. But these did because they had to and they learned to. And I think, you know, in the long run, there's a lot of great self-confidence that is built in those kinds of experiences. So I think that realizing and remembering in your own mind that this is a different experience for your second child than your first, but it's still a good one. And that there's a lot of benefit, beneficial things that she will get out of being a second child. Just as there are a lot of beneficial things that Archie got out of being the first child. So there there are benefits to a lot of different places in life. Hey everyone, it's your host, Lena Forrestal, taking a quick break from this podcast episode to ask you to support the show. I do this show because I love it. And as a self-funded creator, your support can help me pay for things like podcast hosting and an editor. So here's how you can help. Share this episode with a mom friend, caretaker, or soon-to-be mom friend. Leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you wanted to throw me some coins, you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash newmamaspodcast. Any little bit helps, and I appreciate your support. Finally, give me a follow on Instagram at Lena Forrestal. I love meeting my listeners, so definitely send me a DM and introduce yourself. Now, let's get back to the show. So there, there are benefits to a lot of different places in life. I'm having flashbacks of when Archie was a newborn. And yes, I was there uh, at his every beck and call. He slept in my arms most of the time. Uh, yeah. And today, bless him. He's the best. He has a great temperament, but he's very needy. Mm-hmm. And I say that with a lot of love, but he's very needy. He always needs a playmate not great at independent play so is it nurture nature nurture right but i can only imagine that he has always had me or someone to tend to him so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah what kind of conversations do you think i should be having with my three-year-old right now like the most i'm saying right now is mommy has a baby in her belly it's a little sister you're going to be a big brother you're going to be able to show her all your trucks and tractors. And this is going to, this is like a weird example, but like I tell him, and when we go to the amusement park, you'll have someone to ride with because uh, over the summer we went to the park and he was very upset that he had the ride alone on the rides that were just for little kids. So I was like, you'll always have someone to ride with you. So those are sort of the things that he's repeating. What other things should I be talking to him about? like to prepare him for this transition. 
Well, I think you're you're doing a great job and relating it to something that's very real to him in the moment, I think is beautiful and brilliant on your part. I mean, even though, of course, you're not going to be riding rides for quite some time. But <laughs> I think it's something that he's experiencing and think thinking about right now. So it's a great, a great example to use. And I think that's great. Um, and in general, when we think about how to talk to children about big life experiences like this, the general rule of thumb that that I recommend is, is to meet your child where they are and answer the questions that they have, you know, as they come along. Too much information can sometimes be a scary thing for children. And some children are very curious and ask a lot of questions and want to know everything. And some children, you know, are happier to just kind of wait and observe and experience things. And if we tell them too much too soon, it might make them worried about something or think that something bad is going to happen that otherwise they wouldn't have thought about. So I think it's really helpful to just tune into your child and to talk with them as much about it as they seem interested in talking about it. But there are lots of wonderful books. I love to use children's literature in talking with children about issues and experiences and, you know, big life things that happen. And there are so many um, out there. And I love to read stories with children about like when a new baby comes and some of them are super funny and some of them are a little more serious. And I think just having it as part of the conversation, I know that my daughter got a book that showed pictures of how the ba- how big the baby was relative to fruit. That's cute. (laughs) So that as the baby was growing in her belly, we could talk about, well, now it's the size of an apple and now it's the size of an avocado or a pea. And then my other daughter who loves, who loves baking had an app that showed you how big the baby was relative to baked goods, you know, Mm, like the size of of a loaf of bread or something. So having those kinds of, of conversations are sometimes, are sometimes fun And then also having those books around after the baby comes, you know, Mm -hmm. so that as the feelings are happening and he's experiencing loud crying or mommy not being as available sometimes or other things, you have a way of talking about it in a little bit of giving a little distance with the characters that are in the stories. Brilliant idea. I think books are a wonderful way of of talking with your child about things and the specifics of kind of like what will happen when the baby actually is ready to arrive. I would wait to do closer to the time. Remind me when you're due. Is it early December? Early December. Yeah. Yeah. So you're getting close, you know, know. Um, it's wild. And, but I would say mid November ish, you know, start to talk to him about, who you have planned to come and take care of him when yeah. you have to go to the hospital. Brilliant. Um, a lot of times kids his age are curious about where, what will happen, where you will go. Sometimes they have questions about physiology and what's happening. And there are books too that show kids, you know, how babies are really born and all of that. Um, but if they don't have questions about it or aren't curious about it, I don't think it's important to talk about it. But 
for kids who are interested and curious, I think it's it's great. But then just being prepared so he knows who's going to come take care of him and that you and dad will be gone for a little while and he'll get to come to the hospital to see to meet the baby before she comes home. It's helpful for them in the, in that last couple of weeks to kind of have that level of awareness and preparation and knowing that you've got it all covered. That's brilliant. We do a lot of books in this house and I cannot believe I didn't think about looking for books about sibling like Entering siblings. Having a new baby. Yeah, especially if they're funny. If they're funny, that will really resonate with him because he is (laughs) loves funny, goofy stuff. So okay. Yeah, I love that. I can't think of titles off the top of my head right now, but I remember when um when the twins were expecting their baby brother, we got some really funny ones about you know, things you can't do with babies and crazy things babies are going to do. They're going to spit up all over you. They're going (laughs) to, you know, pull your hair. They're going to scream in your face. They're going to poop everywhere. They're going to, and, and the twins were like free going through all of that. And they loved that and it made it funny and it made it fun. And so, yeah, I think, I think those books are a really great way of talking about it. Okay. This is a hard might be a harder question because now we're shifting to like my husband, an adult male. <laughs> How do I not pressure my husband to bond with the baby, but then also encourage it at the same time? I'll give you some context. So the first time around, my husband really didn't, he kind of disappeared a little bit when Archie was born. And he's been fully open about this on the podcast. I've had him on. He's talked about it. Um, everyone, I'll link those two episodes in the show notes. And the first time around, you know, I felt I took it really personally and I felt like, oh gosh, he doesn't love us. He's going to leave mm-hmm. us. Like it triggered a lot of sense of a- abandonment in me. But now I just understand that it could have possibly been some like, male postpartum depression or just not understanding how to bond with the child. So this time around, I I don't want to pressure it or take it personally. Like how do I how do I naturally encourage this to happen? Do you get what I'm trying to ask? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um and I think it's great that you're that you're thinking about it. And you know, with the first child, a lot of times fathers seem detached because they don't really know what their role is. Yeah. Because the mother and the child are so bonded that they feel really left out. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of a depressing feeling, I think, at first, until the, the father is able to find his way in, you know, and maybe, I mean, I've not met your husband, so I don't know and but you have had this conversation with him, obviously, and you had a chance to, to explore it and talk to each other about it, which is fantastic, even if you can't do it in the moment, you know, in retrospect, I think using that and um, reminding him of those conversations that you had, and perhaps finding a way, I think, between now and when the baby comes, I don't know if you have the capacity to do this at all. I know you both have lots of work and not not a lot of support from family or or whatever, but if you could get away like for one night together 
before the new baby comes and make it kind of a special baby moon, let's call it sort of thing where, and you don't even have to go anywhere super fancy, or you can just go to a local hotel, you know, motel, wherever, just to get out of the house and away from the the day-to-day management of life and be really focused on each other. Try to do something that you both are going to really enjoy spending time together doing that's more of an adult thing, not having to be distracted by any kids. And then also sit down and try to have a conversation with him about what it might be like and how how would he like it to feel differently Mm. for him. I love that. And let's make a plan, you know, and maybe you can tell him that we talked and, you know, it's going to be really important for him to bond with the baby. Um, So you want to be purposeful in how the two of you plan those first few weeks and what it's going to be like. And you're really going to need need his support. And he's such a great dad, you know, and just really not like you have to do this because of your responsibility, but more, this is so important to your children for you to be part of this. And I love you and appreciate you so much. And I'll really need your help. I won't be able to do it alone. And you're really so good at these things, you know, building his self-confidence about being with the both the kids, but particularly with the baby. And it could also be that, you know, some people just aren't really baby people. Some people mm-hmm. don't. I mean, I was kind of that way before having a baby. I wasn't, I wasn't someone who babysat very often. I liked preschool age children. You know, I knew all there was to know practically about how to be with somebody from age two and a half, (laughs) but (laughs) I never really babysat for babies. And I was always sort of self-conscious whenever I offered to hold somebody's baby, it cried. And I thought it was because of me, you know, and I didn't know what to do. So some people are just, not naturally um, comfortable with babies. And some people are super comfortable. Like my husband is a baby magnet. You know, there's a baby Baby crying in the room. He goes to take it from the person and says, here, let me try. You know, he has no worries about about feeling like he's doing anything wrong, you know, with a baby crying and and magically he's able to calm babies really off really well, partly because he's just so confident, comfortable and calm in that moment of feeling like, oh yeah, you're crying. Okay, that's all right. I'll just I'll just, you know, bounce you a little bit and help you feel more comfortable and not worry that this is something that's a terrible thing that you're crying for a few minutes. So I think that maybe having a conversation with him in advance and just encouraging him as much as you can and then asking for his input yeah. about how he, you know, what in his dreams, what would, how would he like it to be? How, what would he like it to feel like? Yeah. How could he that. see himself? I never thought about that. more. Why have I never thought about that? That I feel so silly that I never thought to like ask him those things. But you're right. It's almost like not putting the ball in his court, but like instead of me guessing, right? Or like, telling him what to do. Or telling him, which I don't want it, which I think I kind of did the first time around or like telling him how he should feel like just and I because I, I was panicked and didn't understand 
And, uh-huh. you know, you see all these things in movies and on social media of the dads just like over the moon and in love with their new babies. And that's not always the case because it's right. And and I think you're right too. Like some people just aren't baby people and that's fine. Right. Like male or female, like or moms or dads. Like people some people just aren't baby people. And I think right. my husband's kind Although, of one of those people. You know, as a parent, <laughs> you cannot be a great baby person, but you still have to take care of your baby, you know? Yes. As as, as a stranger in the room, <laughs> you can choose not to take the crying baby out of somebody else's arms because you don't want to be with a crying baby. But as the parent of that baby, yeah, you really can't choose not to engage because yeah. it's your job, right? So I think it is important to, to say it is your job that you will engage, but how can I make it easier for you? What do you, how can you imagine it being best for you? And I understand that it might not be the most fun six months of your life with a new infant. Many people don't think infancy is a fun period of time at all. And that's okay. If you're not a bad person for not loving that that level of caregiving that's required Mm -hmm. without as much interaction and feedback as you get as children get older, right? Yeah, the interaction is very, is very nuanced. It's very, you know, emotional. And and there can, if you love it, it feels like it, it, there's a lot there. But if you don't love it, it's hard sometimes, you know, so and I and I think, it's good to acknowledge that it's hard and it's good to accept that, yeah, it is hard and and we can still do this. And if we do it together, it'll make it so much easier for both of us. And I want it to be a positive experience for you as much as I want it. I need your help, you know, in order to be able to manage it. And yeah. so let's talk about it. I've said those exact words, like, I want this to be a positive experience for you. And it's kind of almost sounds silly as like the mom like saying this because like I'm the one that has to push this baby out. I'm the one that, you know, feeds this child from my body. But I think it's I don't know. I feel like if he's comfortable, then I will also feel comfortable. And what's nice is this time around, it's also not pandemic times. So I'm hiring right. help like my mom will be here from the Great. birth which is great. And then I'm also hiring a postpartum doula to come and help. So we will just have a lot more support. And I feel like that will also like this conversation has been enlightening because I feel like the dots that have connected in my brain are that I think my husband's um, avoidance of the newborn stage was more out of, I think, fear and guilt and like just uncomfortable. Like he felt guilty for not feeling a certain way that he thought he was supposed to feel and then just total total fear of this little baby what to do and how to do it yeah yeah, yeah like, i don't know how yeah yeah so i think it'll be a lot different this time around and i can't wait to ask him like how does he want it to look like i'm actually kind of excited and i'm not gonna let him <laughs> off the hook when he says i don't know whatever <laughs> so um so one one suggestion around that, if he's if you think he might be that kind of a person, if you just you know sort of spring it on him, he'll just say, "I don't know." 
make a plan for this if you can get actually away overnight. But if you can't get away overnight, just get a babysitter for the evening and just go out together. But ideally, like a whole overnight so you can wake up in the morning and, you know, have more time to think it through. But tell him in advance that you want to have this conversation and you want him to think about it. Yeah. So that when we're having dinner together, we're going to have this conversation. So be prepared and think about it ahead of time. So we have something to discuss. But I love that you've decided to get some extra help in. It's great. Your mom can come and stay. And I am 100% on board with night doulas <laughs> after the baby is born. I remember those that concept was just barely kind of taking hold when my kids were born, you know, 38, 40 years ago. And I was like, oh, I would never hire somebody like that. You know, I mean, it's I can handle this. And people <laughs> who do that just don't know, don't want to try, blah, blah, blah. I was very you know, self-righteous about it. But with the twins, it was like a no-brainer that there was no way we were going to manage without one. And after Mm -hmm. that experience of having a person who is professionally trained and experienced in helping babies learn how to sleep and taking care of new parents, I would, I know it's super expensive and not everybody can afford it. And that's hard to manage, but um, it was the most valuable expense that we had because not only did it help my daughter and son-in-law just cope with having a new baby, and we we got it for my other daughter when she was just having one too, <laughs> and with the second child we still got it um, because not only was it helpful for them to be able to get a little sleep and to have that sort of help. But there's these children are all such fabulous sleepers. Wow. And they've been good sleepers their whole lives. And in my profession, you know, I deal with, I would say, 75, 80% of the children that whose parents I work with of children who have really dysregulated behaviors are also terrible sleepers. Interesting. And they're function they're functioning on really deprive, you know, sleep deprivation all the time. And how can one manage one's emotions when one's a little person who's sleep deprived all the time? Gosh, as adults, so, it's hard to yeah. manage your emotions. Imagine a child like when exactly. you don't get enough sleep. So having that help and training from the get go and the guidance for the parents that then you can stick with even after the doula leaves, you know, because they're only there for a few weeks. Usually you don't need to have them forever. No, um, yeah. Although you might like like them to stay for the first two years, but that doesn't brilliant. Make sense. Yeah, no. <laughs> and like you know, it's becoming more popular too. Is having like doula funds or postpartum doula funds on baby registries. I've been to baby showers that have had that, which is amazing, and then also different like postpartum doulas have different plans so if you can only right. afford part time or a couple hours a week right. they will aco- they they if they're they can accommodate yeah they yeah. can accommodate if they know in advance if it works in their schedule so i think that's what we're doing i'm doing like just a few hours when my mom is here and then when my mom leaves i'm hiring her i'm hiring more hours with her when she leaves mm-hmm just to have an extra set of hands. And it's for any first-time parents listening, you you need more hands than you think you do. 
<laughs> That's because like I even thought I a thought crossed my mind where I'm like, well, I'm gonna have my mom and me. Like, do I really need a postpartum doula around sometimes? And I was like, no, yes, it will be good to have that extra set of hands. So well, yes, because you need your mother to be to be well rested to help you throughout yes. the day. Yeah. And so exactly. um, because you need the extra pair of hands all day. You need all day. 24-7, right? Yeah. So having somebody else who can take care of the night hours, at least a few of the night hours, so that the rest of the adults can get a decent sleep, then your mother is going to be the most helpful to you throughout the day and managing everything else and, and also helping Archie make sure that he feels like he's getting enough attention. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, generally, I think with a second child, like you said, Archie slept in your arms all the time. So yes. with with a second child, let the baby sleep in other people's arms some of the time. Preach. Yes, that's it's, already it's the all, plan. You, I mean, I know the lovely, wonderful experience of sleeping with a baby in your arms. You know, there's yeah. nothing quite so as nice. wonderful as lying there with baby on your chest or in your arms and letting them sleep and just watching them sleep. So you got to do some of that because it's just so special. You can't have a baby and not appreciate that. But you don't have to do it all the time and let let the baby sleep on other people some yeah. of the time. Then you can take care of yourself first and foremost, make sure you're eating and sleeping and getting, you know, water and needing to do what you need to do to keep yourself healthy. And then secondly, you can be there for Archie. Yeah, I love it too. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much. This was so helpful. Can you share with everyone where they can connect with you or get some parent place, parents place services? Yes, absolutely. So the Center for Children and Youth and the website is ccy at jfcs.org. All of our information is on our website and there's uh, information about our classes, there's a, a way to register for a consultation. And we have an incredibly wonderful intake team who call back or reach out to anybody who inquires about a consultation and spends half an hour, usually 20 to 30 minutes with you, getting all kinds of background information about whatever it is that you're worried about. And then we get that information. I usually am the person handling that information and then deciding which member of our team is the best person to meet with you. And we're usually able to get back in touch with you within 24 hours from whenever you call and usually able to schedule an appointment within a week or two at the most, usually within oftentimes just a few days, depending on your flexibility and whatever. The fee for a consultation is $190 an hour, uh, but we do have a sliding scale. So people who can't afford that, we can talk about giving you a, a reduced rate if that makes it available to you. So that's also an important thing to know. And we would be more than happy to help you with just about anything you can imagine regarding your parenting and not just about infants and babies and toddlers, but even about older children as well. So please reach out to us if there's anything we can do to be supportive. I love that. Thank you. And right, you get all this practical advice. Like I'm leaving with a good amount of like awesome knowledge. So thank you, Stephanie and everyone. 
This will all be linked in the show notes. So definitely check that out and catch you back next week for the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the New Mamas podcast. This podcast was created to help first-time moms everywhere navigate this new stage of life and talk about the honest and the raw moments in motherhood. I'm your host, Lena Forrestal. I'm a working mom by day and a blogger, photographer, and podcaster by mid-afternoon. And as a first-time mom myself, I'm on this journey with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite listening platform. You can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash newmamaspodcast. Stay in touch by following us on Instagram at newmamaspodcast and Lena Forrestal. Thanks again and stay tuned next week for the next episode. Bye.